Beloved Lord, it's good to be with you again. We give thanks to God for his goodness and grace each day and each week and are grateful for the chance we have to come together and worship uh, the God who is and who was and whoever forever will be uh, the living Lord. As we study God's word today, I think I did that last time too. As we study God's word today, we're going to be reading from James chapter 1. And though the scripture reading in the bulletin is verse 12 to 27, we're going to take the whole chapter and read the whole chapter. Our focus will be in the latter half, though. You can find the book of James uh, in the end, toward the end of the New Testament, after the book of Hebrews. We're studying James chapter 1, reading the whole chapter. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change." Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And here begins our text. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Our focus will be on verses 19 through 25. Uh, we won't be able to get in those last two verses uh, this week, unfortunately, uh, but we'll trust the Lord as we focus upon verses 19 to 25. Well, as we begin, I want to ask uh, a question, and it is a question about pushing yourself. Has anyone ever been asked or forced to do for some sport and training, the idea of a running exercise called a suicide. Does anyone know what those are? I remember them from way back in my basketball days in high school. And what they were is when you had to go from one end of the gym 
and you'd run to the first foul line and run back, and you'd run to half and run back, and run to the far foul line and run back, and then cross the whole gym and run back. Sometimes really mean coaches do it on soccer fields. You see, on soccer fields it's particularly mean because soccer fields are particularly large. And so you make the team run, oh, I don't know, to the first 18-yard box and back and then to half and back and then eventually all the way across the field. And you do this until your, your players are, are just about dead. Uh, you, you grind them into the ground. Why do coaches do such mean things to their players? Why do coaches do such mean things to their players? Well, they know that it's in that trial, in the affliction, in the pushing of the body that the strength develops and grows, that the ability to force and push yourself through in a competitive way develops. And it's in that affliction that the players learn more of what it means to stand the test, that when the game is on, when the pressure is on, when they need to know what it is to push, they'll have it in them to do so. Now in James chapter 1, James is dealing with the way God uses affliction and trials in the lives of his people. James is taking the idea of trials of all kinds. That's how James begins in chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He, he takes the idea of life and he says, listen, in your life you're going to have times where you are going through hardship. And, and he hits this broad spectrum. Various kinds. It, it may be health issues. It may be struggles in your home. It, it may be loneliness. It, it, it may be affliction for the cause of the gospel. It may be that someone at your workplace... Uh, just doesn't like you and does all they can to make your life miserable, whatever these trials might be, James says, count it a joy when you go through them. Because when you're in the midst of trial, you can know something very clear that God is at work. And God is at work in you to grow you in perseverance, to grow you in steadfastness, that you might become more like Christ. Now, as James goes on to the whole first chapter, he is developing key things about these trials. He talks about needing to ask God for wisdom in the midst of struggles. He talks about being careful not to think that in trials, God is leading you to sin. You see, sometimes, sinful people that you and I can be, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we can kind of excuse our behavior. Uh, take a look at any average home. Maybe we don't have any here. The average home. Where in a situation, one brother hits one sister or another brother. And mom or dad comes in and tries to bring correction. And the brother who did the hitting says, well, they provoked me. Right? They kept touching me. If you've ever seen someone that didn't touch me, they came so close and they kept on going until I finally had to hit them. It's not my fault. They led me into temptation. Can we ever say that of God? Can we ever say God has so orchestrated our lives, so allowed things in our lives that we had no choice? We couldn't remain holy anymore. We couldn't persevere in the way of self-denial. We had to give in to sin. And James says, never, never. God is never tempted by evil. It never appeals to him. And he will never put you in a spot where he is trying to lead you to walk away from Christ. To the contrary, James says, God gives everything good. He is holy. He is pure. There's no shadow of change with him. And whatever he does, he is doing to grow you in the things of Christ. 
And after he is given that teaching about this idea of trials, he begins to go on and give some specific examples and instruction of how in times of trial we actually allow the work of God to grow us in the things of Christ. And what he anchors us on and what he lands on and what he really takes time to open up is the importance of being able to hear and receive and be shaped by the word of God. To be shaped by the scriptures. When everything else may seem tough, when everything else may seem difficult, when we may feel like we have no choice, James takes us back and says, in these times, beloved Lord, anchor yourselves. Anchor yourselves in the word of God. Deepen your roots in the truth of Scripture. God is at work to make you more like Christ. And how does he do that work? He does so by his word. Hear it. and Submit yourself to it. And that's what we're going to be focusing upon as we see this. And it's a little bit uh, relevant for the current day. We had a lot of struggle among some of our members. And, and they contacted me in the last two days as they witnessed some of the events on our Capitol Hill And it's been a heavy time. I don't know if you saw any of the events there, but sometimes your stomach just kind of fell out, didn't it? If you watched it and you were just grieved to see the things that we have seen in the last number of days. And by God's grace, we were able to gather together Saturday night and just had a spontaneous time of prayer, and it was a beautiful thing. But when God is working in these trials, the church and the response of the church, it doesn't change. When the world gets chaotic, when life gets crazy, when we see the sinfulness of man on all sides of the fence, the call of the Christian, the call of the church is to press near to the side of Christ. To press near to the side of Christ. Lord, instruct me in this time. Let me know you. And let me find my hope there. So that's what we're going to study this afternoon. That's what we're going to study and look at as we see God's word. And we're going to see that in two things. First, in the transformation or the call to transformation that James sets before us. And then second, a warning, a warning of a danger that can come upon us in these times. A call to transformation and a warning of impinging danger. And we begin in verse 19, this call to transformation. James has just set the stage, and we've just spoken of how we can sometimes be think, uh, be led to think that in times of temptation, God, or times of testing, God might be leading us to sin, or God is setting the stage so we have no choice. And uh, the illustration from the family with, with one kid bugging another until finally they give him a little something, uh, that illustration, it, it's, a, it's a very good one. It's a good one because in times of testing and trial, we can tend to get mad. Uh, we can tend to get mad. There is a natural human response to things, isn't there? Uh, I have heard from people on the ground in Ottawa that there was violence on both sides of the protests over the last couple of days. There was violence that we saw from, I saw more from police officers, but there was violence also on the side of some of the protesters. They also did actions they should not have done. And uh, yet, it wasn't as much as perhaps could have been, and I was quite amazed by that. As I watched a few of the videos, I I found all of a sudden my hands clenched. I I watched these things and I I noticed my hands clenching and 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 I looked at my thoughts and I was mad. I was mad. Man, it's a good thing I wasn't there because there would be more violence if Pastor Bilson was there. 
Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does God's word teach us about these times of trial? What does God's words teach us about these times of testing? Well, don't say God is leading you into sin. Remember, he is the giver of every good gift. And therefore, therefore, 19, know this. Know this truth and, and let it impact you. Let it guide you. May, may your heart be one that is, is more ready to listen to the opponent. Listen to what is before you. Hear the word of God. Hear those with whom you may disagree. Be slower to speak, slower to push your own opinion, your own agenda, and slow to anger. Now, anger is an interesting thing because anger isn't always wrong. I would love to be able to tell you that there's a word in the Greek for anger that's always bad and a word in the Greek for anger that's always good, but it doesn't work that way. In fact, the word for anger here in the Greek is the same word that describes the actions of Jesus. There was a time when Jesus was in the synagogue and there was a man there with a withered hand and the Pharisees and the rulers of the synagogue were watching Jesus to see if he would heal the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. And Jesus knew what was in their hearts. And so he said to them, tell me what is right to heal or to destroy, to give life or to take it away on the Sabbath. And when he asked the question, the rulers said nothing. They, they didn't want to give Jesus leverage. And so they didn't say a thing, even though their question, his question condemned them. And when they were so hard hearted, they wouldn't even answer Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was angry, wrathful in his heart. He was mad. He was mad. There is such a thing as righteous anger, isn't there? The problem is we tend to think our anger is always righteous and someone else's isn't. When the Bible calls us to be slow to anger, what does it mean? What is it saying? How do we know when anger is wrong and how do we know when anger is right? Well, it's not so much the word in the Greek, but it is what is described in verse 20 is this, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, God gets mad. He hates sin. He hates when people destroy his children. He hates it. 1 John 3 verse 8 is a verse we need to have written on our hearts. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Sometimes when we are going through difficult times and having hardships, and it may have nothing to do with COVID or government regulations, we may find ourselves in a time where our life seems to be falling apart. We may be walking with a friend who has been abused, and we are hearing their story, and it breaks our heart. And we hear this, and we say, well, I guess God just ordained it this way. I guess God just planned it this way. And be so careful for what we see in this regard, because God hates sin. And he hates it so much, he sent his son to destroy the works of the devil. God's purpose is to cast the devil and all his fruit into the lake of fire. And sin angers him. The wrath of man, the anger of man, that tends to be an anger that is there because we're offended. Because we're mad for ourselves. Because the things we want, we don't get. The respect we want. The rewards we want. The results we want. It's based more in building the kingdom of man than it is about building the kingdom of God. And beloved Lord, that is never a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't build up the kingdom of God. James says, don't go there. 
Don't go there. And he takes it further and he goes on and teaches more. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Sometimes in times of trial, we actually believe we can give ourselves more to sin. Sometimes when all the world seems to be going askew, we think we can actually let ourselves go. Maybe no one will notice. It's been a horrible thing to see the level in which opioid addictions has increased over the time of the lockdown. If you read stats on improper use of the internet and the idea of violations of purity, it has gone rampant as people work from home and are on their computers all the time. Sometimes in times of trial, in times of hardship, we just think we can give ourselves to sin. James says, no, no. The wrath of man will not produce the righteousness of God and therefore get away everything that is sinful. Get away everything that would pull you away from Christ. All filthiness, all uncleanness, don't even, even be named among you as Paul says in Ephesians. Toss it out and to the contrary, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What is the spirit that James is conveying and what does it look like in the picture James is painting? Is a picture of someone who conscientiously will fight the sin of their hearts and the way in which their own hearts will lead lead them to abuse a situation or to use a situation for themselves and instead open themselves up to the word of God. Instead, come to the sovereign Lord and say, Lord, teach me, guide me, humble me. Where you say to go, I will go. And we come before God and we receive his word and we let it speak to us in all our ups and in all our downs. I have to share a beautiful fruit of our prayer night, Saturday night, as we came together. And we just had a number of people writing. We just thought, you know what, if anyone wants to come to church, just come on over and let's pray. We had a number of people come out and we prayed. One of the most beautiful things. We, we have a man in our church who, who's immigrated from Poland. And he has watched, he's an older man. He has watched communism in Poland. He has watched the fall of the wall, so to speak, as communism crumbled in 1989, he has seen a lot of terrible things. And uh, he came into our prayer meeting and we were chatting beforehand. He was a little early and there's a group of people chatting. And uh, you know what he said? He, he said, uh, he said, the truckers aren't doing it right. It's time to take up weapons. That's what he said. Enough with peaceful protest. We will find ourselves enslaved. We need to fight, and we need to fight back now. It's time to take up weapons. We had two prayer times. Well, we had an opening prayer, and then we had two times where we broke up into small groups and prayed, and we broke up those small groups and changed them each time. The second time in the small group, I prayed with him and some others. And as he prayed, he said, Lord, forgive me. That when I came here, I thought the way to build your kingdom was with a weapon. Forgive me. It was just a really neat thing, because I found even in my own heart, as we prayed and took requests, that I had so much bitterness in my soul that I had been harboring and holding on to. And as we began to share, and what can we pray for, and how do we do this, we began to take that bitterness and bring it to God, and, and lay it out and say, Lord, I'm so mad. That's some of the things that are going on. And learn what it was to surrender ourselves to a sovereign God who holds the heavens and the earth and all people in his hand, who can exalt and who can tear down, who has the king's hand in the palm, the king's heart in the palm of his hand, that he can turn it like rivers of water wherever he wishes, and just find ourselves knowing what it meant to trust in the sovereign Lord. 
And James is saying, listen, you're going to go through trials. And when you do, God is at work on your soul. And when he's at work on your soul, the devil's going to be fighting in the midst of the trial. You're going to want to use this in the wrong way and take it the wrong direction. Don't do it. Don't look for the wrath of man. Don't look for the, the handiwork of mankind. Instead, put off what is sinful, put off what is filthy, and find yourself receiving the word of God that can save your souls. In times of trial, the church needs to be pressing closer to Christ than she ever has been before. And the path to get closer to Christ hasn't changed. It has always been by his word and spirit and always in a way that humbles us and exalts Christ. And that is the transformation we are called to find by God as we go through trials. Transformation that calls for more of Christ and less of us that hears the word of God and receives it with meekness. What is meekness? It's the ability to be corrected. It's the ability to have strength and yet submit that strength to the one who is so much greater, the sovereign Lord. It's gentleness. It's humility. Beloved, God's desire in the midst of conflict and trial is to not only shape the world. I had a talk with a Christian, not from my church. Just, it's amazing how often right now you can have conversations with people and they can go good conversations. We had a group of 14 people that I know, they went up to Ottawa on Monday of last week, and they just went there to share the gospel. They took a ton of tracts, and they went and shared the gospel. And they, they shared the story that out of 14 of them, having tons of conversations and sharing tons of tracts, they didn't have one person who said to them, get lost, I don't want to hear it, not one. Do you know how unusual that was? If you go back like three years, every single person would have said, get lost. If you had one person who said, I want to hear more, you'd be like, yeah! They had every single person willing to talk to them about the gospel. Not receive it, but talk. I don't know why I shared the story. <laughs> Pushes us closer to Christ. Let's hear more of the Word of God. And when the Word of God cuts and the Word of God corrects, oh, I know why. <laughs> I had a conversation with someone, and we were talking about things, and I said, you know, God puts every king on the throne. There's no authority except what God has put in place, but sometimes God puts authorities in place to give the people the sin they've been longing for. He hands them up. He gives them over. Sometimes God gives earthly rulers that will destroy. Think of Nebuchadnezzar called in Jeremiah the servant of God. The servant of God. Nebuchadnezzar, the ungodly king called the servant of God because God would give him as a leader to bring his people into exile and to destroy his temple so they'd see the reality of their sin. And I said, you know, sometimes God gives rulers to judge the sin of a nation. And she said back to me this, but God starts with the church. Judgment begins with the house of God. James says, listen, in times of trial, beloved, don't look at everybody else. Receive the word of God. Receive the word of God. Second, the danger. 
what to watch for. Put off what is filthy. Put off the old nature. Put off how we'd fight in the wrong ways. Instead, receive the word of God that can change us. And then the danger. And for the danger, I want to, I want to share with you a little story to begin. And the story is of a, a man who you might know as Brother Andrew. If you've never read God Smuggler, if you've never read, you have homework this, this week. Your homework is to buy the book or take it out from the library here and read God Smuggler sometime during the week. God Smuggler is a great story of this man. I'm going to tell you a story from when he was a young boy. His name is Brother Andrew. And when he was a young boy, he didn't like sitting in church. He was a very, very active young boy, and he didn't like sitting in church. So uh, what happened was, during church, he would slip out, and I don't know how his parents didn't catch this, okay? So he would slip out of church, and he would go out and play. He'd go play outside, and he'd enjoy a great time. And when he heard the people sing the closing song, he'd run back into church, and then he would stand around the people in the church he knew who talked about the sermon. And he would listen to what they said about the sermon, and he kind of memorized two or three points from what they said. And then he'd go home, and he'd say to his parents, boy, I really liked it when the pastor said in point two, da-da-da-da-da. And his parents thought, oh, good, our son is listening to the word. So parents, be wise. Your, your kids might be getting ideas here. What's, what's that all about? Well, he figured a way where he could enter into a conversation with his parents and persuade them that he understood and heard the word of God when he wasn't even in the building. The danger James sets before us is the idea that we might sit in the building and hear everything the word of God says, but it never goes behind or between our ears. And it never reaches to our hearts. James says in verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, if we were to go in the mirror, and this morning I used an illustration. I once had a time when uh, I came home and, and saw my wife, and I'm talking with her, and she goes, you know you got something on your tooth? And uh, I go, and sure enough, there's a piece of lettuce on my tooth. And what happens when you find that out? Well, then you all of a sudden think back and say, who did I just see? And I thought, well, I just saw so-and-so and so-and-so and so, and I wonder how long that thing's been there, right? Can you imagine looking at yourself in the morning in the mirror, and you see that? You've got this big piece of green spinach stuck in your teeth. And you look in the mirror and you see it and you don't do anything about it. You go out and you spend your day. You go to your school. You go to your workplace and you just leave it there. Can you imagine that? You look in the mirror. You know, you know a mom or dad, the famous thing that parents do? When the kids have eaten too much and they have peanut butter stuck on the side of their face, you know, they take a napkin and they spit on it. It's the most hygienic thing we've ever seen. They spit on the napkin and then they take that napkin and they rub it against the face of their kid, right? To, to clean it up. Can you imagine Seeing, you know, the peanut butter smeared on the sides, seeing the spinach stuck in the teeth, and, and doing nothing about it. James says, listen, when you come to the Word of God, the Word of God is like a mirror. And the Word of God shows you who you are. It shows you who you are. And this can happen in many ways. The Word of God can expose you. When you come to the word of God and you understand what God is teaching, it will show you who you are in yourself. 
It will reveal to you your sin. It will show you the ways you fail. It will show you how, if you come truly to the word of God, that you are not as good as you thought you were, and all the holiness you thought you had pales in comparison to a God who is so much greater. And if you come before the word of God with integrity, it will reveal you and show you that apart from Christ, you stand condemned before a holy God. It will reveal who you are. And James says, listen, if you see who you are and you do nothing about it, what a fool you are. To understand the reality of a holy God and judgment and not to run to Christ. If that is you, you have deceived yourself. You are missing the point. You understand a message, but you don't obey it and you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. The little boy who ran into the back of the church has spent more work figuring out what the sermon was about than he could have if he just stayed in the pew. Missed everything. It wasn't about knowing a talking point at the end of the day. It was about meeting the living God. And when you meet the living God, you are not to remain the same. And James says, listen, when you hear God's word, and we need to understand this, don't we? When God's word convicts us, when God begins to open up the the problems we have in our hearts, when God begins to show us we're not thankful enough, or or we're becoming a bitter person, or or maybe we're, we're given over to some addiction or some sin that the Lord just presses on our heart, and we sit in church, and we know it's wrong, and God tells us this is a sin, and we do nothing about it. We don't come to him, and we don't cry out to him, and we don't ask for forgiveness, and we don't confess what we've done, and we don't say, Lord, please have mercy on me a sinner. If you do that, it's not enough to feel conviction. It's not enough to say to someone, I know what it is to feel like God is pressing upon you when you're under the word of God. I had a friend. I had a friend who was with me in my high school years. He was my best friend. And we went to a youth conference once. And at that youth conference, God worked in a way that kind of broke me a little bit. And uh, we were from a different church background. And and, uh, in the youth conference, if, if you felt led by the word of God and by the sermon that was preached to, to come forward and ask for forgiveness and pray with people, you could. And, and during the talk and in God's gracious working, he, he, he broke me and he led me to tears and he led me to feel bad for my sin. And, and I went forward and I prayed with someone at the front of the church and, and I spent some time with that. And when I was all done and I came back, he was still waiting for me. This guy's a non-Christian. He's from my high school. I didn't go to Christian high school. He's a good friend. He was waiting for me. And we walked on our way to go to the next activity as youth conferences do. And, and as we are walking, suddenly he said, you know, Bill's mom was this close to joining you. I was this close to joining you. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I was that close to coming to Christ. He felt conviction. He understood the message. But he didn't do what it said. He didn't come to Christ. And coming to Christ is certainly a very significant thing when Christ first calls you and you're converted. But you know what? It's a repeated thing all through your life. We are constantly called to turn away from our sin, to confess it, and to come to Jesus and find forgiveness. And sometimes God presses home on you. The reality that you need to come back to Jesus, that you've been wandering, that you are about to do something so foolish and so stupid because your heart has been hardening to God and you know God is pressing upon you and you don't respond. Beloved, the Bible says, don't be fooled. It's not enough to hear it. 
Jesus said to the teachers of the law in his day, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. John 5, 39. But these are they which testify of me. And you are not willing to come to me that you may live. Hearers only. And not doers. There are other ways, though, that this applies. Because the Bible is not just a mirror that shows you your sin. The Bible is also a mirror that shows you what it means to come to Jesus. The Bible shows you what forgiveness is all about. The Bible shows you what grace is. The Bible teaches you that when you do come to Christ, when you do confess your sins, as guilty as you may feel, as shamed as you may be, God embraces you with the love of a sovereign God that nothing in all creation can ever separate you from, and he washes you whiter than snow through the blood of Jesus. He makes you his, and he makes you his forever. And you know, when you come before the word of God, that's also part of the picture that God shows you in the mirror. When you look at yourself in the mirror of God's word, if you stand by faith in Christ, what you should see is not merely who you used to be, but you should see who God has made you in Christ, that you are forgiven, that you are adopted, that you are a son or daughter of God, and that you are loved by the holy God. This is what God shows you. And even as you can't ignore what he shows you when he reveals your sin, you can't ignore what he shows you when he reveals his kindness to you in Christ. And it means that when you walk out of that place where the word of God is proclaimed, it it doesn't leave you. You don't forget God's love. You don't forget you're saved. You don't forget the most powerful king of kings in all the world is on your side. You know how you can be a hearer of the word and not a doer? By coming to Christ, hearing forgiveness, and living your life as one who constantly doubts whether God could love you. Believing the lie of Satan that your sins are too great for Christ to forgive. Do you know you can fail to be a doer of the word by not believing the righteousness and the life that God gives through his son to you when you ask him for mercy? And that's a special struggle, isn't it? Because sometimes there are Christians who just can't believe God would love them. And there are Christians who all their life can wrestle with assurance. All their life. And what we need to do, beloved in the Lord, we tell those dear saints that God's salvation is not based on anything they have ever done or anything they have left undone. It is based upon the finished work of Christ. And in God's word, God tells you all this. All this is freely given to him who asks. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. That's where James takes us. There's so much we can say about this more. That's where James takes us, though, in verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... The law that frees you. What is this law? What is this law he's speaking of that gives you freedom? That gives you salvation? Well, Paul says in Galatians 5, 
in the debate about these two covenants, one that is of the free woman, one that is of the slave woman, one that leads to life, one that leads to death, one that represents Mount Zion, one that represents Mount Sinai. And he says this, stand free, therefore, in the freedom which Christ Jesus has set you free, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You see, the law of liberty is the law that tells you you are made whole through the finished work of Jesus. And don't leave it. And don't step aside. It means that you know who you are. It means you know you're not who you used to be. In 1 Corinthians 6, we've covered that passage together. Paul is dealing with those who are struggling with sexual immorality. And he says, shall you take your body and go and be one with a harlot? May it never be. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? For you were bought with a price. Who are you? Are you redeemed? Has God made you new? Don't forget that. When you walk out the door. Don't forget that. When you think no one is watching. This is not who you are. God has made you his. So what do we do during trials? How do we grow during trials? How do we take these things? Beloved Lord, we go closer and closer and closer to Christ. And that means we put off sinful, anger of man, self-motivated responses. We learn what it is to open the word of God and to humble ourselves before it. Let the word of God shape us and change us and grow us in the things of Christ. It means that we strive not to merely be able to understand the doctrine, but to live it out. To live it out. To find ourselves holding hope in Christ. To allow the word of God to bring us to repentance and confession. Not just that I should do this tomorrow, not just that I should do this down the week. The idea of repenting and being made right with God and right with our neighbor is so crucial that in Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and there, remember, you have something against your brother, leave your gift, go your way, make it right with your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. You know how important it is to be a doer of the word? It's so important that Jesus says you should stop your worship if you're not doing what the Bible commands. Make it right and then come back and worship. Beloved in the Lord, the call that God gives us in times of trials to grow in the image of Christ and the tools God gives for that are the enduring word of God and the spirit of the Lord that shapes us, humbles us, conforms us to the image of the God who so loved you, who so loves you, that he gave his only son to make you his. Don't just hear about it. Don't just hear about it. Rejoice in it. Believe it. Find the joy of the Lord. Because in Christ, this is who you are. And may God grow us. That we may more and more resemble the beauty of the Savior who died to set us free. Let's join together in prayer.
Father in heaven, Lord, as we come before you this evening, we pray that you will help us in these things. We know, Lord, we all have areas of conviction where we have not lived them out. Times when you have put upon our hearts the need to, to apologize to a brother or sister in Christ or to turn away from a sin that has been holding on to us or to confess a sin, to go to someone and say, I can't beat it, I need help. Please grant me, pray with me. Hold me accountable. And Lord, we know we all have areas of conviction where we may not follow through. And we pray, Lord, that you will change us. You will help us to see the beauty of a God who loves us even in our brokenness, even in our weakness. We pray, Lord, for those who wrestle with the idea of your grace, that, Lord, you will take away those fears, take away those lack of assurances. Let us let us see ourselves through the finished work of Christ, a word that points us first to Jesus before it points us back to ourselves. And may we know the hope of the gospel that drives out fear, that drives out, Lord, that lack of assurance that constantly hopes and strives for what God already has freely given in his Son. And we pray, Lord, that you will build us up as your people. Lord, you will help us to be a people quick to be corrected, quick to be encouraged, quick to be strengthened by the word of God. May it be our fuel and fire that constantly brings us back to Jesus and constantly does so in the power of the Spirit. And Lord, will you build us up then that we may know more and more of what it is to see the beauty of God in the face of Christ and to be conformed from glory to glory as we behold the greatness of our Savior. So, Father, will you help your word and spirit to be received well in us and by us, and will you bear fruit for your glory. Keep us in your care, we ask. Grow your church, build your kingdom, cast out all the works of the devil, and allow Christ to be all in all, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.